This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, editorial director of The Fader. Over the past decade, Angel Olsen has built a career as a titan of indie rock, ascending from Chicago's DIY scene to headliner status off the back of her spectral, increasingly rich folk songs. All throughout, her music has stayed true to a mantra she espoused in one of her earliest songs. Know your own heart well, you could be surprised at what you find. That mantra could just as easily be applied to the music of Sharon Van Etten, who, over the past decade, has risen from the Brooklyn DIY community to become one of her generation's most respected songwriters and performers, as well as an actor in acclaimed projects like the OA and Never Rarely Sometimes Always. In 2019, both artists hit new creative and experimental peaks, Olsen with her cinematic All Mirrors and Van Etten with the post-punk influence Remind Me Tomorrow, both produced by John Congleton and released on Jack Jaguar. This year, after leading seemingly twinned careers that never overlapped, they collaborated on Like I Used To, a Springsteen-style epic that, like their earliest music, espouses the value of knowing your own heart well. Earlier this week, the faders Shard D'Souza caught up with Olsen and Van Etten to discuss how they first connected, the fast intersecting worlds of pop and indie, and the heartland rock power of Like I Used To. Hi, Angel and Sharon. Welcome to the Fader Podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for asking us. Yeah, thank you. Did you fight about whether it was going to be Angel and Sharon or Sharon and Angel when you when you recorded the song? <laughs> well, it, it was Sharon's song originally, so it's Sharon and Angel for sure. But I mean, it was an arm wrestle, but <laughs> I mean... <laughs> So, Like I Used To is obviously your first collaboration, but were there kind of times in the past where you came close to working together or playing together? We've played some festivals. I feel like we're on opposite stages and we've missed each other in cities where we've met up after shows just to cheers and celebrate in the middle of a crazy tour but well actually no before this right before we worked on like I used to I had reached out to her to sing on a cover of Femme Fatale that we were asked to do for like a companion piece to a Velvet Underground documentary that I'm still learning more about (laughs) (laughs) but we've never we've never really collaborated or played together before but I've seen her live a few times and always wanted to hang with Angel. <laughs> we had like a couple of heart to hearts. I came to visit you in LA when you were out there temporarily and we had a night of just like kind of talking about our own struggles with being musicians and just like trying to figure out how to communicate our needs and be upfront with people we worked with and Um, for me, at least I remember talking a lot about that because I had been going through quite a bit of changes in my band and it was really nice to talk to someone who also just has been doing it and had a different perspective. And I just really remember that hang fondly and 
Um, we joked about the fact that I think we were both trying out for the same role for TV. That's right. And, <laughs> and I was like, I guess this is how it works in the biz. Like they just go down the line of all the indie rock singers and see. They have like... something specific in mind for this character. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so that was 2018. That was just before we moved here officially. But that was the year that I realized you know, that it was time for a change just for myself and my family and thinking beyond touring and stuff. And you have branched out a lot since then, too, with working beyond albums and touring since we met up that year. It's kind of nutty. Yeah, it's been a weird time. I think part of my sleepiness is like having dreams about what it will mean to be, you know, I'm playing like two festivals this year and I'm having dreams about like the gear not showing up, you know, <laughs> like, I'm like, man, I guess I'm going to go back out there. It's weird. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And, but I am very excited that I got some time to really think about my life and other things that I might want to do now that I've sort of established myself in music in a way. But it's nice to also be at this point in my life and my career where I can feel really comfortable working with someone I really respect like Sharon and also yeah just have fun with it instead of feeling afraid that the industry will turn us against each other or compare us and I think in the past I was preoccupied with that because I really wanted to create my own vision and my own thing I was so afraid of of that kind of thing happening and now I just kind of have to shrug and laugh about it because we're all whether it's like you know, by listening to our friends' albums or just by being at the same place in the universe, like we're all influenced by each other in some way. And sometimes it's just, it happens that you sound alike in moments or you're you're listening to something at the same time. And so you write something similar and it's relieving to be like, oh wait, we can do this together and be stronger for it and make something beautiful out of it, you know? Have there been times that you felt the industry is kind of uh, too much of kind of like a competitive force? I don't know. I think it's you kind of have to laugh about stuff because the only way to describe something is to put it in a genre or, or a box and you have to have a headline. Right. So but then the headline becomes this really funny thing and it just becomes like this cardboard version of the truth of what it is. And so you just kind of have to be like, well, that's just showbiz, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but I think it's also your like your own nature. You know, I feel like if you're a competitive person, you're going to enjoy that competitive nature that can exist in music, but me personally, I'm not a competitive person. And I, even growing up, I couldn't play board games in my family because my sister was just the worst. We'd play Parcheesi, and if I rolled the dice the wrong way, she'd flip the fucking board. <laughs> you know, so I kind of grew up with this sense of, you know what, if any time it feels like that, I kind of back off. I don't feel comfortable with it. I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just playing, man. You know, I just want to like enjoy myself and relax and if it ever felt that way it wasn't really my circle and it you know whether it be friends or sports or or music it just I think it's also part of nature and who I tend to work with most people aren't really like that that I tend to work with or hang out with 
So in Like I Used To, like, was there a particular sensibility of the others that you wanted to capture in the song? Well, I actually, I sent this song to Angel, and she laughs when I say this, but I was afraid I was ripping her off, and I was ready to just give her the song, and I sent it to her in my, well, in my memory, it was, I actually told her that, but I actually didn't. I went back in my emails, because I said, did I actually say that? And I realized I was just making up this own narrative because I was so insecure about it. You know what, I'll... I'll take it now. I'll take it now. <laughs> yeah. Actually, my band and I are going to learn the whole thing. So we're, we're just going to do it without you. So. But I literally, I was like, I just, I heard her immediately on it, regardless of if my insecurities were founded or not. I, I heard her timbre in there. And once it felt like a reality that she would actually want to sing with me, then it, it just became clear that it would be our two voices together. When you were saying you heard it in the song, maybe you were also just like, maybe it was purposeful in that way, like without you really knowing it. Like sometimes I feel like writing songs, it's like your brain is putting together a puzzle that you didn't know you were trying to figure out or find a place for something. I don't know, maybe I'm being too like heady about it, but... You know, I bet if I pieced through my a, a handful of demos, I could start a folder that would be titled "What Would Angel Do Here." <laughs> Uh, anyway, I listened to it and I was in love with it and stoked about it. And I thought it was um, like a really sexy, like made me want to kind of like get up and dance song. And I was so in love with it, even if it was kind of unfinished at the time. I was pl- like, you know, having my best friend over for a cocktail and we'd sit outside by the fire and I'd play what we could of the song and how it was developing. And it was exciting to share it. Um, I know that that's probably kind of weird to hear that I was sharing it with people, but I was just kind of like so stoked about it. I wanted to share it with my close friend and yeah, we were both just like, man, this is going to be so much fun to, to play and to record. And she kept asking for me to send it to her and I wouldn't, I was just like, I can't get too attached to how everything sounds. It's going to change. And I have to do that with my own music too. Um, but I'm really excited for, the way that John Congleton mixed it and created this whole kind of like, it's almost like a doo-wop kind of feel to it. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. That's like a Dion meets Springsteen, which is funny because originally I was thinking it was more of a Fleetwood vibe, but, um, you know, leave it to John to push up that extra mile. <laughs> yeah, the song has this kind of like very classic feeling, kind of like Heartland Rock vibe, I guess, like... What does that sound kind of like speak to for the two of you? And like, what about it felt right for for this song? I mean, when it first got there, like after tracking in the studio, I was uh, semi alarmed. (laughs) I mean, like based on the the demo at first, because my Bruce radar is, is, is pretty, 
it's pretty high. But you know that at a certain point, you're just, I, there's part of me that gets defensive about the Bruce um, influence where, where I love the boss. I grew up listening to the boss. And it was just so suddenly there from a much more kind of laid back, more like 70s rock kind of demo. But then once I got into it, I was like, you know what? This is so ballsy. This is more like heart. And um, it wants, the song wants to be bigger than my demo allows. So once you let that go, you have much more fun uh, taking it to this other place. Um, and you can always play it slowed down, you know, stripped back, however you want later, if you choose also. Mm-hmm. Sharon, what was your kind of process behind writing the song initially? Because I guess this idea of like like I used to is is something obviously a lot of people will kind of be working through in their in their own lives right now. Yeah, I I honestly I sat down just first from the mindset of a mom and laughing about all the things I used to do just as like a teenager, early twenty something that didn't have all these other responsibilities, but then put in the context of COVID, you know, it's, it's a bit more emotional and funny, but I think when you combine those two feelings that you get something that's rooted in, in something that people can connect with, you know, that's not just silly and outside of themselves, but something that's true to life and heavy, but also relatable and somewhat of a relief to hear that other people are feeling the same way because like the lyrics weren't done when I first reached out to Angel and I wanted to make sure they were you know not just things that I was going through and also not so obviously COVID where it's like this is going to be a COVID song (laughs) you you want in you know I wanted to feel like something that was still universal beyond this moment in time and Angel helped me do that At this point in your careers, you're both quite established musicians and kind of it's, I would have to assume, quite a a big operation, but you both kind of started as kind of more DIY musicians. How do you navigate getting to this place where a career is sustainable, but it's also kind of moved so far from from how you initially started off? I think, and and not just because of quarantine, but because of my age, because of my family, and because of the relationships that I've built by having a career and trying to be loyal, that I've, I don't only owe it to myself to try to sustain the touring so that I can help sustain other people's livelihoods. I also need that creative side of me to still be able to thrive as a person. If I don't write and perform, I definitely am not myself. But I know that I can't tour like I used to. And so, <laughs> ha, that was not intentional. But um, 
<laughs> I can't tour like the old days mm, where you're either. gone nine months out of the year, you know. Um, I mean, I will. So <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, I mean, I, if I have to, I will. I will bring my child. You know, next year is probably the last year I don't have to plan school around a tour. But, you know, it's those things that start as you get older, that they start popping up as things that are important to you that you don't want to miss, like weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, whatever that be. But I still like having a live band and feeling close to them and playing venues. I can feel my audience and trying to only play clubs that I like going to, that I would enjoy, where the sight line's good, the sound is good. There are other bands playing there that I like. I think that's the question you're asking. I have a hard time with the playlist thing. And we've been doing them and they've been fun. But it's always framed in a way where it was like never. It was always the artist's idea when it never is. I, I have a hard time with doing like the promotional stuff that takes like research and time. I'm like, I just want to play music. <laughs> and I'm still such a baby about it. But I do have fun trying new things and I think working with someone that does have an outside perspective outside of me and wants to see me like challenge myself and put myself in different positions yeah I don't know like the Mark Ronson song that I did was just like I never would have imagined that I would have collaborated with Mark Ronson and that was a really enjoyable experience and it was so much fun and it's one of my favorite songs to play now and I think in the past, like being very like punk DIY, I would have never collaborated collaborated with Mark Ronson on something. But I think also that has a lot to do with how the indie community and the pop community are merged at this point. I feel like in the past it was very like, it's them or it's us, you know? And now everything is just kind of like, everyone is making music and it's, it's a better way now. We were alone. Earlier this week, you performed like I used to for for Fallon at, at Zebulon, which Sharon is quite a, quite a significant venue for you. Like, can you tell me a bit about your relationship with that venue and kind of what it was like performing that song there? Zebulon was my first real haven in Brooklyn when I moved to New York, and it would be the kind of place where you would go for a glass of wine and you see a bunch of people that you knew that my dad could feel comfortable sitting at a bar and like talking to the owners, that you could just go there and whatever music they were playing on the stereo was always incredible. And whatever music was playing live was like something I had either never heard of before that I loved immediately and not genre specific at all. It kind of run the gamut. And they early on gave me my first residency there and allowed me to book my own shows and bring my own friends in to be part of the shows and like I got to bill it and everything and it was a pass the hat club no cover 
people kind of just came in and people would sit on the floor if all the chairs were taken and it's an intimate beautiful space of probably maybe 150 people could fit in there maybe legally um <laughs> depending on like the if they took tables out or not um but the kind of venue too where if it was a quiet performer like they wouldn't make drinks so it was really special to me and the neighborhood um, Williamsburg changed so much that they didn't actually feel welcome there after a while and so the two brothers moved back to France they left the space and they started plotting their move and what was next you know they knew that there was going to be another Zebulon but didn't know where and they ended up in Los Angeles and they actually moved the physical bar from the Brooklyn space all the way to the LA space so that now exists here. Wait, that's the same exact bar. I, I sat at the very same stool my dad and I used to sit at. My dad used to come to like all of my shows at Zebulon and I think even on occasion he had to crash at my house. But yeah, it was just such a welcoming place. And, and so now that Zebulon is out here in LA, that my family and I have settled out here. It just was kind of, you know, bittersweet because my first time going into it when it was completed was during COVID. And, you know, it meant a lot to be able to collaborate with them and sharing the story of my relationship with Zebulon, but also where they are at now. And it's a community, it's like a community center, really. They have all different kinds of music. They support local artists and touring artists. And it's a much bigger space than what I knew in New York, but it still has a very warm and inviting energy. And they keep that creative spirit. And I just... It's the place to be. Yeah, you know? it's the spot on the east side. <laughs> One of few. recording a couple of solo live streams and, and performances last year how did it feel to perform with a with a full band again um honestly it felt great <laughs> <laughs> i mean i love playing solo and i i'm gonna get out there at some point and play whole new mess and i always do kind of like in between records I'll do a small solo tour here and there because some people like I've never really done a full-on solo tour in Europe etc I'd like to go to Japan one day and do that I'm stoked to to get the band back together like I said I'm also just having nightmares about like gear just like breaking or like in the dream like I don't know how to program the keyboard you know stuff like that that is silly to dream about but it was so much fun um, getting a bunch of people together and, you know, some of them are from friends of friends, people that we've met on the road, people in our friends' bands, like getting together to play this song with us. So it's 
it was really fun. There are all these kind of really distinct and evocative like I used to's in the song. Can you talk me through each of your each of your favorites? I guess one for me is that I find that I'm more of a homebody than I ever realized I was. Avoiding big crowds like I used to, I think, is my favorite one. Not just as a performer, but even sometimes going to shows, I used to find that I would get a little anxious. So I'd be the one like in the back corner and I'd have to sneak outside to get some air because I just I have like a thing with crowds which is like the worst profession to have if you get social anxiety but now that I'm home I'm kind of like you know I'd kind of do the same thing but obviously on walks and you see a bunch of people you cross the street to not (laughs) walk through them and just staying at home by myself and being in my own little bubble is has been really nice actually for me yeah it's sort of similar just like avoiding big crowds dancing all alone like for me it was um you know now I'm excited to be back in the game and and trying to to get the band together but at the time I was like I guess I'm just gonna spend the day in the house dancing and no one will stop me and I have nothing I have to do and and at first that was really really freeing so like having the time to really think about what I want in life, where I am. And I was at a place where I was like, oh, I got over this heartache and now I'm just going to be with myself. And I was with myself and it was so much fun connecting. I was like going on walks and I met all of these beautiful people and befriended this person who lived by a lake and he lent me his canoe and I would take the canoe out and I was just like connecting with nature and this like, way and I felt really just into myself in like a way that I didn't really get to connect with that wasn't about music or writing really and for me like being in that place I think allowed me to really fall in love and be open to just being myself you know and accepting where I was in life and yeah just being able to let go is the overall feeling for me when I sing the song so yeah it's beautiful thank you so much Sharon Bennett and Angel Olsen for coming on the Fader podcast to talk about your new track thank you and have a great rest of day you too thank you so much I'm sorry if I talk too much Sharon no I I love it it helps me out (laughs) that was Angel Olsen and Sharon Van Etten in conversation with the Fader's Shad D'Souza like I Used To is out now via Jack Jaguar. Our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow the Fader interview wherever you listen to podcasts, and keep an eye on fader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.